0: Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we would love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in, where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. Father, we are come to you grateful for the joy of salvation, for the opportunity to cling to your word and that it gives us light and hope and peace and that it also does confront us. And so would you open our hearts today for holy confrontation. Expose something inside of us today, Lord. Help us not to sit back distant and aloof from the work of your spirit or to presume that we have the fullness of understanding of the work of your Spirit, but instead to be open and obedient. And so we lift this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, you can open it up with me. We're in Acts chapter 10 today. Um, we generally walk through books of the Bible as a church, and so we are in the second section of the book of Acts. Um, Today, we are are in the middle of a story. So we saw the first part of this story last week. It's in Acts chapter 10. It's the story of the Apostle Peter and really the story of how God was using the Apostle Peter in his mission to be able to extend his word to all people. And so at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus laid out the calling of his people and said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and where else church? To the ends of the earth, right? And so the entire book of Acts follows this framework and this storyline. We see the Holy Spirit descend on God's people, fill God's people to be Jesus' witnesses, witnesses to the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they do that in Jerusalem. And then we've seen in this section of the book of Acts that, that it would have stayed in Jerusalem except that God sent some suffering which scattered the church. And that suffering scattered the church, and they moved out to Judea and Samaria, and now we see a key moment in the book of Acts and in redemptive history, and God's work among his people. This is a text that um, I was saying to the, to the tech crew as they were mic-checking me today, I feel like I've got a month's worth of sermons for this morning, but... We share this space with a dearly loved church, Ebenezer, and they are coming in today, and so that means that we can't go for the time I'd like to take. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to do my best, and I am going to be slashing material as we go today, but we also as a church, I, I need to say we just preached a six-week series in July and August on the gospel race in the church, and, uh, and so some of what I'm going to try to get into today was in a, it was given in an expanded form there. You can find all those sermons online. Um, And so go check those out today though. We're jumping into the Apostle Peter last week We saw that he had a vision of a sheet That he was hungry and he fell asleep and a sheet descended and God said there were all kinds of animals every animal You could imagine and God said take kill and eat and Peter who was a Jewish man a faithful Jewish man Who observed kosher dietary laws argued with God and said no Lord? I do not want that pork sandwich Peter was a fool. And God the second time brought the sheet and he said, and said take, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I, I have never eaten anything unclean. And God rebuked him and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times and the thing was taken up into heaven. And so this was, what we saw last week is that what God was doing was reframing Peter's understanding of what the law is and how the law extends. That, that the civil and ceremonial laws of the nation of Israel had been fulfilled in Christ, who was now reigning as king and had fulfilled the ceremonial law of earning our cleanliness before God, he had fulfilled that in his life and death and resurrection. And so those things don't extend to us while the moral law of God does extend. And so what this means is that Peter, in all of his faithfulness, was actually standing opposed to what had been accomplished in the cross by refusing to eat what God had called clean. What that means for us is that we get to eat pork ribs. And we get to eat carnitas and chicharrones as God's glorious provision for us. That we get to eat pork bulgogi as a spicy, sweet perfection of God's kindness and grace. We get to eat bacon, which is the candy of meats. God has opened the way for us, but what we see now is that that extends well beyond food. Last week, we saw the relation of the covenants, old and new. This week, it really answers the question, who is the gospel for? Who does this good news extend to? So Acts chapter 10, that's a long section today, um, and so it'll be on the screens. Open your Bibles if you have them. I'll begin in verse 17. uh, Cornelius, a, a, a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort, had had a vision from God saying, send for this man Simon called Peter, told him where he's staying. Peter had a vision of this sheet and said, what God has made clean, don't call common. And this is where we pick it up in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, there are three men looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you. That you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went with them, away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, "'Stand up, I too am a man.'" And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and then and I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, "'Four days ago about this hour "'I was praying in my house in the ninth hour. "'And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing "'and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, "'your alms have been remembered before God. "'Send therefore to Joppa "'and ask for Simon, who is called Peter.'" He is lodging in a house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace, through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Then the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For, though, for they were hearing them, speaking in tongues, and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a lot here. Um, The big idea today, what we see in this text, is who the Lord has called clean, do not call common. You need to hear that. Those whom the Lord has called clean do not call common. We will not call what the Lord has called clean common. Now, a little background and context. Luke, our author, who wrote Luke and Acts, is two volumes of one work. He wrote this, and he, he spends two entire chapters on Cornelius. That's a lot of text and what that shows us is he's slowing down the storyline of the book of Acts for us and that points the importance of this text in the redemptive narrative this is a key moment and so he expands the story, that gives us the long text we just read and so so this is an important text that he's trying to show us through that length of the story focus in here, this is important this is a key moment, it's one that's been anticipated in the book of Acts up to this point remember, the word of God went out, Jesus said to his, his disciples that that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and... To the ends of the earth. And so this is now, we've seen preludes of this that that people were gathered from all kinds of nations into Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, but those were Jewish people that spoke all those languages. And so the vision of Revelation 7, that at the throne of the Lamb there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered in worship of one Savior, Jesus Christ, we see that progression through the book of Acts that people of every tongue were gathered in Pentecost, and the Jewish people from the diaspora across the nations into Jerusalem. to hear the word of God proclaimed and and salvation through Jesus. But then it went out to Judea and Samaria as as it began to cross national boundaries and and ethnic boundaries. And that happened first through Philip, who, because of persecution, was scattered and went to the Samaritans. The apostles didn't take God's word into Judea and Samaria. It took Philip first so he took God's word to the Samaritans. Then he he met the Ethiopian treasurer along the road and, and preached the gospel to him. And that man brought the gospel back with him into Ethiopia and to northern Africa. We see now, though, and then we saw Paul called as an apostle to the Gentiles. But now all of this prelude, looking ahead to this point, comes to Acts chapter 10. Peter is given a vision by God. And it takes a vision from God to both Cornelius and to Peter to bring this moment to happen. That's what it took, and so in this moment, now I I need to pause here for just a second and say, I know we just did a series in the summer on the gospel race in the church, and now we're in the book of Acts, and I'm just to anticipate that some of you may have the question in your mind, or may, I know some of you have, some of you have been, you know, this is the, in dealing with sensitive topics, for some of you it feels like we've done too much too fast, for some of you it feels like we're not doing nearly enough, and you'd like to see things further down the road. In that, we've, invi- we've asked the whole church, like we need to stay at the table for discussion on this, but if some of you are today saying, Pastor, why are you so focused on race right now? Like we, we, we get it. We did a whole series. Why are you focused on these things? Can't you just go preach the gospel? Can't you just go preach expositionally? We can't. We come here because we preach God's word and expository sermons. That's what I'm looking for. And so for you today, if that, if that twinge of doubt is in your mind or twinge of critique, I just want to say today, I am doing everything I can today to purely preach expositionally and to just preach the gospel. We can't escape Acts 10, and these are the issues raised for us in this text. And the gospel extends not only to our eternity, but brings eternity into life now. And so, um, this is the focus of this section. Much of the New Testament, when you read it, is focused on ethnic division within the church. The book of Galatians, the book of Ephesians talk about unity and show the friction that was happening. And the next several chapters of the book of Acts continue to focus in on this. And so, we are going to faithfully walk into the text today. We, last week, we saw Peter's vision. Now, a little bit of detail about the text today in we'll, we, what we see. Cornelius is a centurion. He is a Roman centurion. He's most likely a soldier who had worked his way up through the ranks, and he had become, a, 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 and so when it says he's a centurion in the Italian cohort, we need to understand that a cohort was a group of 480 men. It was one-tenth of a legion, and so today, this is the, about the equivalent of an army captain. That's the rank that this man held. He was a God-fearer, we learn in Acts 10. And so that means that he likely attended the synagogue and and embraced the customs and worship of the Jewish people, but he hadn't fully converted to Judaism and he hadn't been circumcised. And so he was still firmly a Gentile man. So Peter, for Peter to show up and and show respect for Cornelius is one thing, but he entered the man's home, which was another thing altogether. And so a little cultural context, we need to understand that for a Jewish man, particularly um, a Jewish teacher and leader, that there was, that the law prevented the the Jewish people from, from ritual uncleanliness, and so that was extended to a point where there was an expectation that Peter would not even enter the house of a Gentile, let alone sit and eat with them. A little bit of fear that somebody might serve up a pulled pork sandwich and pass it off as chicken. And so that you, you, might, you, you risk that. And so they set up these extra layers of protection to make sure it didn't happen. But he shows up, the vision comes to Peter and Cornelius, they, the, the men show up just when God had them show up, he walks in, Cornelius fell, falls down, the centurion, a respected man, a man of, of means, a man of a household, a man who had earned his way into a position, who was respected among all the people of Caesarea, and he falls on his face to worship Peter who was a raggedy fisherman from Galilee. Peter, you can almost feel the awkwardness of, like this is the way I read this, you almost feel the awkwardness of the interaction that these two guys have never been in this situation before. Like Cornelius has never had a Jewish man stand in his house and Peter's been called an apostle, so he's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. And he says, stand up. And then Peter starts, you see his opening line that, he, that Peter uses? He goes, you know that it's not lawful for me to be here. That's, that's great, Peter. Like, it's, that doesn't feel like the most warm and cuddly and convincing way to begin a conversation with somebody. Hey, you know how I'm gonna begin a gospel conversation with you and tell you about my beliefs is to tell you I'm not supposed to be here and it's against the law. And so there's this awkwardness in their exchange, but in that we see Peter wrestling through and, and, and he extends what God had shown him about food and says, okay, this, if, if that's true of food, then how much more so for people? He says, why have you brought me here? And he sa- "And he listen to the invitation of Cornelius. He says, I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. He says, lay it out, Peter. So Peter does. He preaches the gospel with clarity. The, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. They were baptized, and Peter stayed for some days to continue to teach them. How does this Text come to us then. So we're going to look at two things today. First, we're going to look at the problem that, that is in front of us, and then we're going to look at the solutions that have been provided for us. The problem: there's a problem with how we treat each other. Plain and simple: there's a problem with how we treat each other. It, on the one hand, we have a tendance, tendency to elevate people. We lift people up onto platforms. We look for heroes all of us does that's why it devastates us when people we look up to fall is cuz we've we've put them in a place where we we find our hope that that person is the voice for us the representative for us the one we can look to the one who's different and and so we lift people up into heroes and and we've all done this and i don't know who it is that are your heroes whether it's celebrities or politicians or or whether it's authors or or who it might be for me i'm a nerd i've had a tendency to do this with theologians and pastors which is like i mean that, it's a little strange strange, right? Like some of you would walk into an environment, uh, maybe it's a professional athlete or authors of certain people that you would like freeze up a little bit. For me, it's when I walk into a room with certain pastors in it and I go, it's nerdy. But increasingly for me, I'm not as impressed with apparent giftedness and I'm more impressed with guys who simply make it and endure to the end. Um, Eugene Peterson died this week. He is a pastor and an author who, who had a different framing on what pastoral ministry is supposed to be that cut against the grain of our cultural sensibilities. And my overwhelming sense on hearing about that he had died was gratitude, that he was in the presence of Jesus who he loved, and that he had made it to the end without losing it all. I got to meet uh, Dr. Tony Evans this week, and my own story, Dr. Evans was used by God because growing up, my, my church was riding around with my dad. One of his jobs was a paper route for the Chicago Tribune, and he would play Christian radio, and we would listen to radio preachers. That's the children's church that I grew up in, and Dr. Evans was one of my favorites, and so I got to meet him this weekend and hear him preach in person for the first time, and Dr. Evans is, is getting older, and, and, I'm, and again, it's a man that I look at and say, wow, he's had a over 40 years of ministry, faithful to God, and he's making it to the end. And so it's, it's one thing, though, to have appreciation for giants and gratitude for people that God has used and that we can look to. It's another thing for us to, to lift people up into a platform and into a place that no person should hold. The problem is that we idolize people when we elevate them. We find our hope and security in people, in our lives. And we have an expectation that they will provide what, what we need. And, and so, and, and as we do this, we, we elevate. And this is, this is what we see in Cornelius. Cornelius didn't know how to respond. Peter walks in and he dropped and worshipped him. No human being is worthy of worship. That is reserved for God alone. And so, and so, there, and so Peter quickly corrected it and said, no, 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 stand up. I'm just a man like you. And we need to hear this correction. We, we have a tendency to idolize. And, and, and typically, our idols look a lot like us, and that makes sense because we love ourselves themselves. If you look at a group picture ever that you knew you were at the event, where do your eyes go first? Silent response. You just look at the whole group. <laughs> I look at everyone else to see how good they look in that picture first. <laughs> None of you is thinking that. We look for ourselves first. We want to see how we looked. We love ourselves himself. And we 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 do and we want and so, and we love people like us. And so this makes sense because we want safety and significance. And so we surround ourselves with people that Look like us and affirm us and think like us and vote like us and talk like us and eat like us and, and affirm our identity and our thought constructs and politics and, and our place in this world. And so we surround ourselves in echo chambers and social media is making it worse. And we want to be significant. And so we form tribes and fight for superiority. And, and so we need to understand this, that when we look for safety and significance, every one of us is drawn first and foremost toward a mirror. And, and as that happens, we forget that the simple biblical command that Jesus gave his people is he said, all of the law and the prophets, everything could be distilled down to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Jesus is saying, I know you. I know you love you some You so you need to extend that love to your neighbor who bears the image and likeness of God. Our idolatry shows up when we respond just like those Jesus confronted with that, and we ask the question then immediately, okay, then who's my neighbor? We're missing what Jesus is calling us to, And we need to understand the reason I'm getting into this is because when we elevate people to a level that no no person should be lifted, when we idolize people, that will also lead us to demonize people. Because our idols don't like to be threatened, and they react violently when they come into the presence of another idol. And so we elevate people, and we also denigrate people. And that is what we are seeing this week. This week, there was an outbreak of wickedness and evil in our nation. Bombs mailed to prominent governmental leaders. Black people killed at a grocery store only because a black church that was having Bible study was locked and the guy couldn't get in there. And so he went and found the closest people he could to kill them. That is evil. It's demonic. Yesterday, a synagogue shot up during worship. It was demonic. And family, we have a a problem in this country and it's not a problem that can be fixed by politics. It's not a problem that can be fixed by having the right sociological grid. It's not a problem that can be fixed just by merely doing studies of power constructs and looking at, at how people groups interact. We have tried as a, as a culture over and over and over again to solve this problem, but we continue to try to apply natural solutions to a supernatural issue. And so there is a brokenness in our nation that, that we continue, even Christians, to look to the wrong house for help. We think that, that, we as, that, that God's solution is going to come through the White House. We think that God's solution is going to come through houses of Congress or through the courthouse, and it's time that we, as, as, as the people of God, begin to lead the way as His house, believing that it is His people that can actually bring hope and healing to His world. He's made us living stones that he's building together into his household for worship. And that's not just on the eternal plane, looking ahead to heaven. God has called his people to bring the realities of eternity and the realities of Christ's kingship and reign into the world that we live in now. We have a tendency to assume that the problem is out there that it's them, that, it's, that, that we're not like that person, that movement, that tribe. And so then even as Christians, we can turn to our own religious systems themselves as the source of our security and our holiness and our hope, and that too, at its core can be idolatry because self-justification is, it means that if we are able to justify ourselves, we have no need for justification that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone to save us. So I don't know what your other is, but every one of us has one. Who is it that's the other for you? Is it, is it on political lines? You're convinced that a party affiliation itself devalues someone's ability for salvation. For some of you, it might be ethnic or racial or cultural lines that when you see people from a different background, you make automatic assumptions of their inferiority. It could be socioeconomics, that all of life is just about pulling up yourself up by your bootstraps. Or, on the other side, so we can moralize the poor or the rich... It could be moral lines, that you're more concerned about people's moral correctives and, 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 and than you are about their salvation. It could be theological minutia. Or, in D.C., we've been here long enough now that it seems like we're getting greater clarity on this town, and in this town one of our lines that we hold up is that we are different than everybody else, that we are more thoughtful than, that we are ideological people, and that the people out there that go by the same names of the parties we align with don't actually represent the core of what it means to really be that party. And so, it's people that aren't as thoughtful that are the other. People that aren't as educated. People that aren't as in tune with the news cycle and the issues. And it divides and it divides and it divides and violence breaks out. What's depressing is that whole churches and movements can reflect that, and there have been schisms in the church, and since 1050 A.D., the church has not been unified. Miroslav Volf reflected on this. A sociologist, he said, slaves to their cultures, churches were foolish enough to think of themselves as the masters. Churches became too interlocked with culture, spilling into partisan politics, marked by the mobilization of collective hate and cultivated bigotry. Along with parishioners, the clergy are often trapped within the claims of their own ethnic or cultural community and thus serve as the legitimators of conflict. <laughs> this was not a reflection on the American church this week. But it really just reflects the root of all of our sin. It's the de-godding of God and when we place ourselves in his place. If our idolatry can be boiled down to seeking safety and significance, then our hatred of the other is inevitable. Miroslav Wolf also went on to say, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude my enemy from the community of humans and myself from the community of sinners. So this is our problem. We know this problem. We see this problem. I hope I didn't have to do too much more work to convince you of this problem, but I think there's hope for us as God's people and what we're called to in the text that we have today. Now, please don't hear that I'm saying we are going to solve systemic racism and injustice and racism in human hearts today, but I do think we see something that points us to something that we can do as individuals, and so let's look towards solutions together, and we're going to look for the rest of our time together today at loving our neighbor across the lines. First thing we see in Peter and Cornelius is when we are perplexed, when we're confused, we are called to walk in obedience, Cornelius was an accomplished and powerful man. He worked his way up in military service. He was respected. He lived in a beautiful coastal city. He had a great deployment. And yet, when an angel appeared to him, he obeyed and sent for a fisherman from Galilee so he could listen to that man teach him. Peter was in Joppa. If you you know your Bibles, if you've read your Old Testaments, if you grew up in church and know some of the stories of the Bible, you might remember the town of Joppa there was another man of God who had run to Joppa. His name was Jonah. God came to Jonah and said, Get up, go to Nineveh, the place of God's enemies, and proclaim the message that I've given you. And so Jonah got up and ran the opposite direction of Nineveh, down to Joppa, and ran away from God because he hated pagans. He hated those who were not Israel. We learn that because in chapter 3, so Jonah gets on a boat to try to run from the presence of God and continues his descent down below decks and God throws a storm at him so that the sailors throw him overboard and so he gets vomited by the fish back onto dry land and God says, I'm not done with you Jonah. Get up. Go to Nineveh and proclaim the message that I have for you. And so Jonah got up and he went to Nineveh and then he said what was on his mind, but I'm not convinced it was actually what was on God's mind for the Ninevites. All Jonah said was, hey, in 40 days, this place is going to be overthrown by God. And then Jonah went up and sat on the hillside overlooking Nineveh and waited for the fireworks. And then he argued with God when God said, I've seen the Ninevites repent because the Ninevites repented and turned to God. And Jonah said, I knew you'd do this. I knew that you were a God who's slow to anger and compassion and abounding in loving kindness. I knew that if they repented, you would turn turn away your wrath. And God says, and you're mad about that? And so God says, Jonah, we're gonna have a little test for you. And he grows up a plant over Jonah's head and Jonah liked the plant. And then God sent a worm to destroy the plant the next day and Jonah was angry at God. And God says, what right do you have to be mad about this, Jonah? Jonah is a critique against God's people who were so focused on themselves and God bringing blessings for them that they refused to extend the kindness and goodness and grace and justice and mercy of God to people who weren't like them. And it ends with the question as God says, shouldn't I be concerned about the great city of Nineveh, where people don't even know they're right from their left? And God's saying, of course he's concerned that way. Now, God's word comes to Peter in Joppa a Jewish man who had followed Jewish laws and customs who was strikingly, with a call strikingly similar to Jonah's. It says while Peter was inwardly perplexed with the vision he had seen meant, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius made an inquiry and they called out to him. And, and look at verse 20, it says rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation for I have sent them. So the word of God comes to Peter and says get up, go downstairs and go with those men and then Peter shows up there and what, is, what do they say? We need to know everything God has commanded. What is God's proclamation to us it's the same three things that jonah was called to except peter even in his confusion when he still didn't understand what the vision meant he went and obediently followed god's call into cornelius's home and and yet when the vision appeared and the spirit spoke so he obeyed he he reached across a major barrier and took a step of faith he steps in and even Peter was able to recognize in that moment saying, okay, if God said that I can eat a pulled pork sandwich and enjoy some ribs and enjoy some chicharron, then, then, then if he said, if all that's open, then how, if, if that's true for food, then how much more so for people and he's able to make that connection and that's good because we rag on Peter a little bit and he earns it. But here he makes the connection in his mind and he's also able to recognize the insufficiency of the law. Peter recognized how laws can serve to divide people and it took, God's, it took a divine vision to overcome them. Second, show no partiality. Now again, we can rag on Peter, and he deserves it at points, but it's, it, Peter is also a huge encouragement to me, because if you have a realistic perspective on yourself, we can look at Peter and say, Lord, thank you for Peter and the mistakes that he made. There's hope for me. Now here, he was able to make an action. Food is declared clean. How much more so of people? But this isn't the last time he would struggle with this. Now we're going to see next week the reaction of the rest of the church when Peter started to step out. And it wasn't good. Acts 11, but we'll hold that for next week. So, But we also see in Galatians 2, later on, in Antioch, that, that Peter was was he, had, he is the man who had this vision. He is the man that God came to. He was the one to break through and see the Spirit come to the Gentiles and still, later on, these things were so deeply ingrained in Peter's psyche, so deeply ingrained in his perspective on the world and his view of things, that we read that in, in Antioch, later on, he was doing fine. He was eating with Gentiles. But there was a division that started to occur in that church. That Jewish people and Gentile people weren't eating together. That there were demands that that people that came to faith in Christ would erase their ethnic and cultural background and become Jewish along the way, and and so this divide was coming in the church and building in, in the churches in in the church in Antioch. And Paul says in Galatians two that because of that, when people from Jerusalem came up to Peter, that Peter got intimidated by the circumcision group sent by James, pulled back from the gentile believers and would only eat with the jews now again for us it's it might be hard to understand the importance of this but what's happening is a division in the church along ethnic lines and so the apostle paul confronted peter to his face publicly he he didn't just confront him about being racist or a bigot he said peter you are out of step with the gospel you have forgotten the gospel Because if we reapply kosher food laws, if we reapply ceremonial laws and people have to earn their cleanliness before God in order to approach him outside of Jesus, then we have emptied the cross of its power and Jesus died for no purpose. So Peter's racism was a result of a misunderstanding and and a failure to actually believe in the sufficiency of the work of Christ. And it's only through Paul's confrontation that he repented and saw it. Most of the New Testament is written about ethnic tensions and divisions in the church. And and so for here, though, we need to hear this today because I know that for many of us, we might say, I don't show that kind of partiality. I I don't show that kind of outward racism or bigotry. And most of us would say, we would love to experience an increasingly diverse community and church, all the ways we can cut that. We value, at Redemption Hill, we want political diversity within this church. We want to see socioeconomic diversity. We want ethnic diversity. We want it, we, because we believe that the gospel reaches all people and unites us together, reconciles us together just as we are reconciled to God. And we want to see that outworking and the beauty of that, that interwoven tapestry in this local body. But there's a question, and it it's one thing to desire a diverse church, it's another thing to ask the question of how willing are you to get to know people who actually aren't like you? What does your dinner table look like? Are you willing to enter into other people's homes and sit and eat with them, and bring them into your home and sit and eat with them, and, and to follow God's leading and calling to whomever, with whomever, Whenever? Dr. Eric Mason in his new book, Woke Church, says this means when you go to get your ramen noodles at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, (laughs) whenever you're there, you're supposed to be opening up your life so God can give you common ground with people who are not like you. This is where we live out the gospel. The gospel is supposed to bring people together who would not naturally be together. That is the nature of it. So, we need to remember that for every one of us, it took somebody breaking down barriers for us to hear the gospel. That, that this was a closed group of Jewish believers in Jerusalem and it took persecution to spread them out to the surrounding region and it continued. And, and, but now it, was, it took Peter breaking down the barrier for the gospel to actually be extended to Gentiles, which is most of us in this room. And, that, and, and throughout human history, the only reason we have actually heard about Jesus, and if you are a Christian sitting here today, the reason that you are a Christian is because somebody took a risk at some point and br- broke through a barrier that existed so that you could end up hearing the gospel in the end. And we need to take that risk. In church, the solution of loving our neighbor across the lines means that when we're perplexed, we walk in obedience, and it means that we show no partiality, and showing no partiality doesn't just mean that you passively sit back and say, I'm not actively angry against somebody, I'm not the gunman in the synagogue, that is great, that's the lowest bar you could have. It means that we actually take risk in our lives to meet people where they're at, and are willing to stretch outside of the mirror. Third, cling to the clarity of the gospel. You see what Peter does? They say, all right, we want to, we want to hear, we, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter, he spent three years with Jesus. He, he had plenty of content here. And so in that moment, you can almost feel, hear him like feeling it out. Okay, so Peter opened his mouth and he, he finds himself in this, in this unfamiliar place, eating unfamiliar food, being with unfamiliar people. And they say, we want to hear everything that is the gospel and, he, and everything that God has shown you. And he says, okay. Um, I understand now that God shows no partiality. He's saying, this is, he's saying, this is where I'm at right now, is I'm learning that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So as for the word he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So this is what the gospel brings, is peace, shalom, wholeness, goodness, fullness and healing and health through Jesus He is the Lord of all, so here's what happened. And do you see what Peter zeroes in on? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God God is with him. So he says, okay, here's what happened. Jesus came, God in the flesh. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the gospel. Everything else you think about Christianity and the ethics of Christianity and the politics of Christianity— Put that outside for a moment and understand this is the simplicity and the clarity of the Christian claim. Jesus lived, God incarnate, God in flesh, fully man, fully God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit he lived a perfect and holy life and did the work of God in his life and ministry, healing people, standing against the work of Satan and standing against the kingdom of evil, and God was with him. There were eyewitnesses to his ministry and to his death, people that walked alongside him and, and were with him throughout that time. And that Jesus, what happened was he, was, he then, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear to witnesses who carried on his message. And so the core of the gospel is that Jesus, God in the flesh, was killed in our place for our sin. He was raised to life because death could not hold him. And in an overcoming death, he shows what Peter gets to, that he is the one that we have to answer to. He is the one that we will face at the end of this life, because he has ascended as king. That's the gospel. Now, proclaiming that gospel, though, some of you have grown up in systems that have taught you we say that gospel just to secure the fire insurance of our eternity, and then we go on our way and live life how we want to. You need to see that the Spirit of God that empowered Jesus to do the work of God is the same Spirit of God that is poured out in the book of Acts into Jesus' followers and continues to fill the hearts of God's people so that we are called also, with our eternity secure, to join God in his work. So the call to us is the same call that came to Cornelius. That if we fear God and do what is right and acceptable to him and believe in Jesus, we will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. If we are going to see healing extended through the house of God and be a part of God's work in bringing peace to our city, we've got to cling to the simplicity and clarity of the gospel and not let it get clouded by anything else fourth, join the movement of the Holy Spirit. I think this is the last one, so we're almost there, church. (laughs) Join the movement of the Holy Spirit. Do you notice who initiates the conversion of Cornelius? It wasn't Cornelius. God came to Cornelius in a vision and said, here's the guy you've got to hear from. It wasn't Peter. Peter didn't go, you know what? Jesus called us to be his witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm here in Joppa. Maybe I'll go up the coast to Caesarea and find a guy that's not Jewish so that we can see the start to extend to the ends of the earth. It wasn't Peter's great strategy. It was God who gave Cornelius a vision. It was God who gave Peter a vision. It was God who, 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 who supernaturally superintended the events of the men showing up at Peter's door in the moment that he was praying and in the spirit and having this vision. And an angel comes to so he, there's angelic beings with both of these guys and all of a sudden then God blows the doors off because the Holy Spirit is moving and Peter was open to join him in that work. And Tim Keller, a pastor, says this, the flow of the Holy Spirit, the force of the Holy Spirit, the job of the Holy Spirit is to surmount racial barriers and bring unity in the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes down and transforms you psychologically, it it will also transform you sociologically. And when they saw it happen in Cornelius, they knew this is not just another religious person. It's not just another moral person. This is a man who has been converted by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that means that whatever our other is, there is a call to us to not proclaim as common what God has called clean. That there is the gospel is not itself black or white or Asian or Latino. Our hope is not bound by our ethnic background. There's not a difference between the hope that, that black or white or Asian or Latino have. There is one hope for us, and we don't get erased in Jesus. We bring everything we are to the table, but we are redeemed in Jesus to be able to come together in unity because we have one hope that we, that we proclaim. And the result of our salvation, that is, the Spirit moves, is the fruit of the Spirit. But let's also not confuse hope with fruit, Hope is one of the great three pillars in Paul's writings. There's faith, hope, and love. Hope gives us the help that we need for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Think about this. The fruit of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's really moving and we're joining the movement of the Spirit in our lives, it'll look like, we're told in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the hope that we have in Jesus is what gives us the ability to, do, to engage in the fruit of the Spirit. It's hope that makes us able to be patient when people are slower than we want them to be. It's hope that allows us to love people even when they're ignorant. It's hope that gives us joy even in the darkness. It's hope that allows us to be kind and extend God's grace to people that don't deserve it. It's hope that drives us to gentleness and self-control. We have one hope we cling to together and join the movement of the Spirit together. And we need to know that what we see in Acts 10 is that the doors get blown off and the Spirit comes down and Peter doesn't know what to do and they're trying to figure it out and they didn't have a theological grid for this and we're going to see next week in Acts 11, so please come back because we see that it didn't go well for Peter when he got back to his church. The people react and we're like, oh no, what have you done? And we're going to see, we're going to spend some time on that next week, but, but in this moment, we, what we need to see is that the Spirit came, it crossed ethnic divides, that, and, and, and it was the simplicity and clarity of the gospel that helped to get there. For us, we need to hear this corrective because every one of us otherizes people. C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors and, or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of a kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously no flippancy, no superiority, no presumption, and our charity must be real and costly love with deep feeling for the, for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy, parodies merriment. Now, or next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Is this how you see your neighbors? That next to the sacraments, it's themselves, your neighbor is the holiest of all objects presented to your senses. That every person you interact with bears the image and likeness of God and reflects something of his beauty and goodness and glory. Church, our nation is messed up. And so let's not be people who continue to look to the wrong houses for help. Yes, there's good work to be done and government work is important, but stop thinking that divine solutions are going to come through human institutions. It's time that we look to God together and lead the way as his house, the household of God built together as living stones, crossing every line and barrier that divides us in our world. And so let's lead the way. We can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ can do this, that it can bring healing and justice and hope. There's no time to delay. Every one of us has a part to play. Pray with me. Father, we need you in this. We are asking for supernatural work to be done, and that can only be done by the outpouring of your spirit. So would you convict our hearts as individuals today on who we otherwise? Would you show us those who bear your image and likeness who we treat as less than? Would you give us eyes to see the opportunities you place in front of us every single day and throughout this week and month to be able to see the the opportunities we have to reach across dividing lines and embrace people as family and community? Would you help us as a church to cling to the simplicity and clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ believing that our hope in eternity can be breathed in to our lives in our church now. Father, we pray for churches in this city that are faithfully preaching your gospel, that you would use us as a witness to do something great in this place and bring restoration and healing in life. So we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.